We're in our series, Full Proofing Your Life. And boy, I've certainly enjoyed this series. It's been, a, it's been a blast and I've enjoyed studying the book of Proverbs. I tell you, I, we could probably spend three years in Proverbs. There's so much there. And I could probably preach 15 messages out of this passage alone. There's just a lot here. Uh, but we're, we're trying to move through the whole book of Proverbs. It's been a joy. Tonight, I'm going to preach on something that, that I, you know, all of us need to hear and all of us uh, uh, definitely can benefit from. I know I can. And something certainly that hits close to every single home. And so tonight I'm going to preach a message on foolproofing your finances. Foolproofing your finances. How many say, Pastor, I could use a little bit of that in my life. Amen. And uh, me too. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. None of this really is my opinion. Uh, All of this is straight from these verses in this chapter. How many recognize tonight that the Bible is a strong authority in our finances? Let me, let me say that again. The Bible is our final authority in our finances. Amen. I tell you, there's a lot of good resources, a lot of good books, uh, a lot of good things you can read, and we should, and try to be good stewards. But the Bible has a lot to say about finances, and they can certainly help us. So we're in Proverbs chapter 22. I'm going to skip through these verses because I'm only going to read the verses that deal directly with finances tonight, and that's what we're going to concentrate on. Okay, so look at verse 1. The Bible says here, Proverbs 22, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver or gold. When I see that word silver, I think of silver hair. And when I think of silver hair, I think that it's Brother Padilla's birthday today. I like that for a segue. Happy birthday, Brother Padilla. He is 66 today. Isn't that awesome? Can we give him a hand for living that long? Amen. We love you, Brother Padilla, and uh, he, is, he is certainly a wonderful guy. Of course, he's my father-in-law, so he paid me to say that. But anyway, um, no, we, we enjoy him. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. The rich and poor meet together, verse 2, and the Lord is the maker of them all. Let's skip down to verse 4. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Skip to verse 7. The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Verse 9. He that hath a, what? Bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. Verse 16. He that oppresseth the poor to increase his riches, and he that giveth to the rich shall surely come to want. Verse 22. Rob not the poor because he is poor, neither oppress the afflicted in the gate. Verse 23, for the Lord will plead their cause and spoil the soul of those that spoiled them. Verse 26, be not thou one of them that strike hands or of them that are sureties for debts. Verse 29, seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. So far in this series, we've heard a lot of different subjects. Everything from raising children to having a happy home. We talked about drinking alcohol, not drinking alcohol. We talked about uh, uh, thinking before we speak. We talked about avoiding being foolish. There's a lot of things that we covered. But so far, we have not had a message in Proverbs on finances. And finances are actually talked about quite a bit in the book of Proverbs. The Bible and Proverbs specifically is filled with solid, practical, godly advice on how to operate our finances. In this chapter alone, 
about 40% of the verses deal directly with our finances. How many recognize tonight that God cares about how we spend our money? He cares about that. And there are things that, and not just Proverbs, of course, we understand that this is in the context of a father writing to his son, trying to help him. But in the greater context of Scripture, there's a lot of Scriptures on finances. So tonight, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about foolproofing our finances. Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight, help us to grow in this area. Maybe uh, something from this passage will spark our, our, our remembrance. Maybe it'll spark something in us to make a change, and we'll help someone tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Finances are extremely important. There are over 2,300 verses in our King James Bible. There are over 2,300 verses in Scripture that deal with finances. That's a lot of Scriptures. God recognizes that our heart, God knows that our heart is directly tied to our wallets. And it's impossible to separate our finances from our marriage, our finances from our family, our finances from our home, and our finances from our spiritual life. It's impossible to separate the two. Finances are integral and ingrained in us. Our finances uh, are so much a part of who we are. Something actually my father-in-law has said many times to me and, and in our conversations over the years, and I remember you said this to me maybe, maybe 10 or 15 years ago. He said this, he said, your finances reveal who you really are. He, and, and I won't use the exact words you use. No, I'm just kidding. He says something like, he'll say something like, if you're mean and you're, a, you're, you're not a good person, then the more money you have, that amplifies that you're a mean and not a good person. And if you're generous and kind and having money will amplify that. And money amplifies who we are. And so in this passage, we see at least 11 verses that deal specifically with finances. It would be foolish to ignore those verses. And so tonight, how do we foolproof our finances? What are some biblical keys here that we see in foolproofing our finances? Now, some of this, you're going to say, I know that already. I've already heard that. But maybe take it a step further. Maybe actually when you hear it, and if it's something that we're not doing, we obey it because it's Scripture. Amen? Amen. We obey it because it's Scripture, and it's not just a good idea or somebody's opinion. Uh, this isn't a Dave Ramsey session. There's, he's got a lot of good things, but this is, this is from the Bible. Amen? And so number one here tonight, we see that God talks about the importance of integrity. Number one, the importance of integrity. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. If you're at home, if you're listening, would you read that with me? Ready, begin. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. God is concerned about our good name. Your testimony tonight is integral. It is very important. And loving favor rather than silver and gold. The rich and poor meet together, but the Lord is the maker of them all. By humility and fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Many people, you talk to them, there's probably not a person in this room that doesn't want to have money to do the things that they need to do. Most people don't want to be broke all the time. <laughs> Amen? Most people don't want to live that way. Some people are more content than others, but most people want to at least have enough money to pay their bills, uh, uh, eat some food, buy, buy replacement clothes, and take care of business. But what we really want to get to in our life is where we are being 100% obedient to God in our finances. That is the goal, is it not? Not just to have money and to be rich. Uh, some people, I know many Christians who have money and God has blessed them. 
There's nothing wrong with that, and we know that. It's a great thing. It's a great blessing of the Lord to have money and wealth and finances. That's a blessing. But the ultimate goal is not to have money. The ultimate goal is to obey God with our money. That's the goal. And so we see here, letter A, financial integrity is more important than financial ability. In God's economy, it's better that we live for God and do what we're supposed to do and have a good testimony than it is to have riches. A good man, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. The first question that we must ask ourselves in this chapter is when it comes to our life and and specifically now our finances, do I have a good name? Do I have a good name? When I was a, a young boy, I was probably 10 or something. I don't remember. But dad, we were coming out of a Safeway there in Prescott, uh, Prescott Valley there. We came, if you're from there, it's Prescott. If you're not from there, it's Prescott. So that's how you know if you're from there. And so uh, I'm from Prescott. And so I came out, we came out of that Safeway. You probably don't remember this, but I was a little kid and uh, maybe, maybe, maybe 10, I don't remember. But I saw a Mountain Dew can sitting there on the, uh, by the pillar there unopened. And it had, you know, in Arizona, it's hot. I'm talking hot. I'm talking really hot. And that can is sitting there and that, that condensation is just dripping down the side. And oh, I was so thirsty. And, and I looked around, there's nobody around. And I said to my dad, I said, dad, look at the Lord hath provided for us this mountain dew. And I'll never forget is one of the first times this happened. My dad said, son, that's not yours. Well, dad, there's nobody around. Yes, but son, that doesn't belong to you. Now, some of y'all would take it. I know you would. You'd be like, praise the Lord, I got a Mountain Dew. But my dad said, that's not your son. Don't touch it. It's important that we have integrity with God in our finances. I'm going to understand what I'm talking about. Because you might be able to cheat Uncle Sam. You might be able to cheat or whatever. You might be able to lie about what your giving is or whatever. You cannot lie against God. And so it is important to have a good name, yes, to our fellow Christians, and we try to do that. But how much more important is it that God is pleased with how we live our lives financially? So the first question is, do I have a good name? Now, if you're here, and if you're like me, you've made mistakes, and we all make mistakes and do things that we probably shouldn't do over the years of our lives. And I'm not trying to hurt you tonight. All I'm trying to say is this. It's time to repent if we're in sin or maybe we've made some mistakes. It's time to move forward. And from this point in our life, we're going to live with integrity when it comes to our finances. How many have ever heard this this before, that Abraham Lincoln was called Honest Abe? How many have ever heard that before? Honest Abe. I actually read, uh, 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 I think it was an autobiography. I remember it was an autobiography of Abraham Lincoln. And I found out why Abraham Lincoln was called Honest Abe, and it's actually an interesting story. Some people think it's because uh, he gave correct change back, and there's a lot of different stories out there. But actually, what, what really happened was is that Abraham Lincoln, he grew up in, a, in sort of a poor home. By the way, if you've never read his biography, I'd read it. You'll find out that Abraham Lincoln's parents were Baptists and were 100% against slavery. And it was the faith of Abraham Lincoln's parents some people, somebody said to me today, well, Abraham Lincoln wasn't a good president. I'm like, okay. But Abraham Lincoln, because of his faith, of his parents' faith, 
He's the one, he's the one that brought, uh, uh, got rid of slavery because of his parents' faith. If you read his biography, actually read the whole thing. It's pretty long. You'll get it. You'll understand how that works. And it's amazing, the, the story there. But, but that's beside the point. He grew up in a, in a, very, uh, a very poor home. He wasn't used to uh, having, wasn't fed with a silver spoon. He grew up in a log cabin, had humble parents. He did back-breaking work with his dad. And he just kind of learned how to work hard. And, and as he came up, in his life, he began to try to invest in businesses, and he bought a business uh, with another guy, and uh, it was in New Salem, Illinois. They bought this business, and there were general stores there in that town, and they, they began to buy general stores. And, and uh, what happened was, is they began to, uh, because it was a roaring kind of a economy, they began to take out loans and buy product, and they got into a little bit of a debt. There were quite a bit of a debt, and then the market crashed, and everybody lost everything in that whole entire region, and people lost thousands and thousands of dollars. And uh, Abraham Lincoln's partner actually uh, kind of uh, didn't do what was right to Abraham Lincoln, left him with all the debt, skipped out on town. And here Abraham Lincoln was left with this incredibly large debt. Now, back then, it was only $1,100, but in today's money, it was a lot of money. It was a huge amount of money to pay back. And so Abraham Lincoln, in that day, a lot of people just declared bankruptcy, a lot of people moved out of town. They, they Shanghai, they went, they went on a boat somewhere to get away from their debts. But Abraham Lincoln determined that he would pay back every single penny of his debt. And he spent 15 years of his life paying back that debt. And that's where he earned the nickname Honest Abe because he paid back every dollar that he owed. Mr. Lincoln understood this biblical principle that honesty and integrity were to be chosen over uh, a financial gain. And so uh, we understand tonight that God is interested in our integrity. We face issues like this in our life all the time, integrity issues. For some, but for some people, it's as small as getting that incorrect amount of change back. Does that ever happen to you? They accidentally give you a 20. They should have given you a 10. Has anybody ever, ever happened to you? It never happens to me because the Lord knows I'll keep it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, but that's ever happened to you. And and you get that back and you have this sort of dilemma. Oh, well, it was their mistake. Well, I mean, come on, Home Depot can afford it. And we start to justify. Come on, I'm not, don't look at me like a cow at a new gate. You know what I'm talking about. Well, they should, they should teach their people how to count. And we have this dilemma of integrity. One time I was working at a job and I dropped a $50, $50 bill. Now, for you, that might not be a lot of money, but $50 to me is worth something. Amen. And I remember, <clears throat> I didn't tell my wife about it because I knew she'd murder me if I told her I lost that money. And so I didn't say anything to her yet. And so I am, I am literally like, what, what happened to that money? I'm looking everywhere, my car, the ground, I'm retracing my steps. Could not figure it out, could not figure it out. <clears throat> so I'm standing in the job I was working at. It was a kind of an office area. And I'm standing in the front and I'm just depressed. And one of the office workers actually noticed and they said, are you okay? I said, man, I'm just bummed out. And they're like, why? Why are you so bummed? And I just walked in the room and I said, I lost 50 bucks today. I can't find it. And she goes, you mean this $50? Central Sanitary Supply, Mrs. Lynch, where Brother Lynch works. And she goes, you mean this $50? I said, what, what do you mean? She goes, somebody found it in the parking lot today, brought it in and said, somebody dropped this $50. Now I'm thankful when somebody has integrity, when it happens to me. And so I'm not preaching against you if you found 20 bucks because you might find 20 bucks and really need it for your gas tank, amen? But all I'm saying is this, uh, uh, there, there, there are times in our life we know when it's right 
We know when God tells us you ought to give that, you ought to do that, you ought to turn that in, or whatever. And this might be something small like that. It might be something as big as selling someone a lemon. You don't know what a lemon is. It's a car that doesn't run. Amen? Selling something, uh, you know, put bananas in the, in the gas tank or something, keep it running while, while they take it for test drive. It might be something big like that. That doesn't work, by the way. I think that's an old thing. It might be bananas in the carburetor. I don't know. And so, uh, but it might be something small. It might be something as big as cheating on your taxes. But God, it's more important. It's rather to be chosen to have a what? A good name. Integrity is more important than our ability to have integrity. Don't trade your testimony for a dollar. Amen. I could preach about that for a long time. Don't trade your testimony for a dollar. Letter B here, we see that financial integrity is important or more important to God. Why? Why is it important to God? Look at verse 2. The rich and the poor meet together, and the Lord is the maker of them all. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches honor, and life. When it comes to integrity, there is no greater motivation than this. God is watching. Say, well, I don't want to get caught. Forget getting caught. You already got caught. God is watching. How many of you know that in God, God can bless or curse you better than anyone? How many have ever been reminded by God to do the right thing? How many have ever been chastised? I think I've shared this story before. You know, I've, I've done things I shouldn't have before. We all have. We're all sinners. I remember this was many years ago, about 15 years ago, 16 years ago. I was working a job, and, you know, you, you do something you're not supposed to do. You know you're not supposed to do it, and you know God's going to chasten you. Sure enough, that day, I got two tickets in one day. Two tickets in one day. I didn't tell anybody for a long time that God was chasing me. I just complained about it. But I knew in my heart, God was saying, you get your act together. Don't look at me like that. We all go through that. Amen. Get your act together. And uh, God chastens those that he loves, by the way. But th there's no greater motivation to do what's right than God is watching. Maybe you've had a come up. <laughs> you've had a come up and it was outside of honest integrity. That wasn't a blessing from the Lord. That was a temptation from the devil. Man, praise the Lord. God provided me. And we think that God did something for us when we knew it wasn't right. Have integrity. Our heart of integrity is important to God. He sees, by the way, listen, the flip side, he sees when we sacrifice for integrity. Let me understand that God sees that. He knows when we don't take the thing or we don't pick up something that we should. God knows those. He sees those things. And how many understand? God can bless me far more than that, whatever that thing is that I think that I'm going to have this, you know, this come up on it. So we understand tonight. I'm not saying if you find a $5 bill on the sidewalk, you've sinned. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we know when we should do something, we shouldn't do something. There's other ways that our integrity are important to God. He sees that when we sacrifice the way that we're supposed to, he sees us when we turn down that overtime to go to church. He sees those things. God can bless you. I had a young man call me. I was so blessed yesterday. He, had, he called me and said, Pastor, I need your advice. And he asked me advice about a job and church. And basically he said, Pastor, whatever you say, I'm going to do it, which I don't want to be in that position with people. But I appreciate the young man's heart where he was saying, Pastor, guide me. And, and, and we always want to err on the side of putting God first in our life. Amen. How many understand that he sees all that? 
And, and you know, you may, well, pastor, you don't understand. And look, don't, don't convince me, convince him. Amen. He sees it. And by the way, I've been in those situations. I understand it's difficult sometimes to make those choices. But God sees when we put him secondly. God sees it when we put him in second place. Don't you think that God can bless you if you have integrity? So first of all, let's get honest in our dealings. Are we honest with our customers? Are we honest with our employees, if you are a boss? Are we honest with our paycheck? Are we honest in our taxes? Are we honest in our tithe? Are we honest when we return a product? There's all kinds of ways that we can be honest and have integrity. I remember I was selling shoes for Dillard's. Anybody ever shop at Dillard's and high-end shoes? And I was in Bible college and I'm selling shoes and I made like 12 bucks an hour plus commission. It was a good job. I was selling a lot of shoes. And uh, I remember this, this lady came in and she bought a, this, this really nice uh, pair of high heel strappy kind of shoes and they were $120 shoes. And I thought, man, those are, that's going to be a nice fat commission right there. It was like eight bucks or nine bucks for that one pair of shoes. I was so excited and, you know, starving Bible college student. And so she, brought those, she bought those shoes. I was so excited. And, and in my job, if they brought the shoe back, there goes your money, gone. And so sure enough, two, two or three days later, she comes back with these shoes. And I opened up the box and she goes, I like to return these. And I opened up the box and man, the bottoms were all scuffed up. The heel was almost gone. I mean, the, the little rubber part was almost gone. And one of the straps literally on the side was ripped out. And I said to her, I, she goes, I was dancing and the strap ripped. I said, that's weird because these three straps didn't rip. It was just this one strap that ripped. And she goes, yeah, it was just that one strap that ripped. Boy, that made me so angry. <laughs> you know, when you don't have integrity, it hurts other people too, by the way. But it hurts God. And so we ought to be careful about, uh, about being honest. And so, uh, by the way, if you return a pair of shoes that way, I'm not talking about you. All right, so number two tonight, we see the second principle here. The first principle is integrity. It's so important. We see the importance of integrity. Number two tonight, from the scriptures here, verse seven, we see the imprisonment of indebtedness. The imprisonment of indebtedness. Now, I understand I'm talking to Americans in 2020, and most people here tonight own a home, have a car payment. And so I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty tonight. That's not my intention. I'm just simply bringing out what the scripture says about debt. Look at verse 7. The rich, what? Ruleth over the poor. And the borrower, borrower is a what? How many would agree with that statement? Amen. A borrower is a servant to the lender. And so there's a couple things we can learn about debt here. Letter A, debt is an unfriendly master. It's an unfriendly master. We live in a day where debt is more common oftentimes than cash. Debt is a common method for Americans to live from month to month. And I understand all these things and people use credit cards a lot for points and, and, and all these things. And so I'm not going to get This isn't a debt uh, consolidation seminar but tonight, I want us to think about what God, how God views debt. Some of us have a car payment. We have mortgages. We have credit cards. We get a loan to pay our cell phone these days. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that debt come about. It's common. But just because it's common doesn't mean it's good. And all God's people said, amen. Just because it's commonly used doesn't mean it's good. There are, there are ways to take out debt, and I'm not going to get into that tonight, but there are, good, there are, there are ways to do that. Uh, wisely, and there are ways to do it foolishly. So we all understand it. I don't think there's anybody here, unless you don't know anything about finances, most people here understand the danger of debt. And for most Americans, the danger doesn't stop us from spending. 
But the problem with most Americans is that we think for some reason that we have to have everything right now. We have to have everything right now. I deserve it. <laughs> I need to have it right now. And so we get what we want now and we go to pay for it later. And God warns us about debt. He warns us about it. Take your Bibles and go to Deuteronomy chapter 15. Deuteronomy. So I'm going to give you three warnings here. One is from God. One is from Paul the Apostle. And the other is from Jesus. There's three warnings about debt. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 15. And we'll look at verse 6. Deuteronomy 15, 6. Deuteronomy 15, 6, 6 says this, For the Lord thy God blesseth thee, as he promised thee, and thou shalt lend unto many nations. So God is dealing with the nation of Israel here. But thou shalt not, what? He says, you can lend and do that, but don't borrow. Don't borrow. And thou shalt reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over thee. What God is teaching his people is that when you borrow, you trade borrowing money for being their servant. And the danger of debt is, is when we get into debt, we become a servant to that debt. And we should not be a servant to debt. We should be a servant to the Lord. And all God's people said, amen. amen. And, and a lot of times people fall into the trap of debt. And, and, and listen, I understand tonight, there's probably many tonight that have debt. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. But what happens is, is when we get into that debt, we can't obey the Lord like we want to, like we desire to. And when God puts something on our heart, we can't do it because we're a servant to this debt. Paul warns us about debt. Go to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13 in your Bibles, please. Paul warns us about debt in Romans chapter 13, uh, verse 8. He says this, Oh, what? No man anything. Oh, no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth one another hath filled, uh, fulfilled the law. And Paul warns, don't owe anybody. Don't owe people. Don't owe, don't owe that debt. And then in Luke chapter number 14, verse 28, Jesus warns us of debt. He says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it? Jesus, there's other things that Jesus says, but I just want to point this out. Jesus says, before you purchase something, have enough money to do it. And so I understand, uh, you know, you're going to buy a house right now and, how, you know, a three-bedroom, two-bath, 1,500-square-foot house is $500,000. You're going to have to work some debt there. I understand most people don't have that kind of cash. If you do, thank you for being a member of our church. But uh, most people don't have that uh, in their bank account. So I understand in our economy, in our world, we have to leverage debt for certain things like buying homes. I understand that. But I'm just saying there are warnings because debt is an unfriendly master. You get into the cycle of debt, it's hard to get out. Why does the Bible speak against debt? Because it turns you into a servant to the debt. And you can't serve two masters. If your debt is your master, you're going to have a hard time serving the Lord. You can't serve the Lord with your giving when you're crushed with debt. You can't serve your family financially when you're crushed with debt. So debt also has a way of causing us to violate our first principle of integrity. Debt has a, has a way of doing that. We end up not being able to pay our bills and we get late and there's all these other things that happen and it happens to wonderful, good people. And I'm not trying to down talk anyone. All I'm saying is this, if you can, teenagers, look up here, listen to your parents because I know your parents told you not to get a credit card uh, unless they're telling you to get points or something, but be careful with debt. Don't become a servant to debt. Debt is an unfriendly master, but letter B also, debt is an unbiblical mindset. It's an unbiblical mindset. 
Notice verse 26. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit here. Look at verse 26. Be not thou one of them that strike hands or of them that are sureties for debt. For if thou hast nothing to pay, why should he take away thy bed from under thee? But the warning here is don't leverage things you don't have for something you don't need. Don't leverage something you don't have for something you don't need. I remember when I was in high school, a good friend of mine, he went out and he bought a brand new BMW. Now, how many think a high schooler should have a BMW? No one. Amen. And uh, I remember he, he, he rolled up and that was such a sweet car. He, he had the, everyone was jealous, man. Everyone was jealous. We're like, man, how'd you get that car? He goes, well, my parents co-signed for me. And my parents co-signed for me. And we said, what's your payments? He goes, $930 a month. <laughs> That's a lot of McDonald's hours, brother. Sure enough, three months later, we, we went down to, uh, him and I went down for the day. Of course, I loved having a friend with a BMW, didn't have to pay for it. And so we hung out with him and his BMW, and boy, he was so proud of that car. It was always clean. It smelled good. It was a nice car. One day we went down to, we, went, we, were, we were at college, so we went down to LA one day just having fun, and we came back, and we were inside his house, and, and, I, and my car was parked in the parking lot in his house, in his driveway, and I said, okay, I it's time for me to go. And so I went out to my car. Uh, I said, I got to get something out of your car. I left something in your car. So I went out to his car and it was gone. And so was whatever I had that was in the car. It was a hat or something. Repoed. Why? Couldn't afford it. Couldn't afford it. So debt is an un- can be an unbiblical mindset. We're told here, don't be of those that strike hands, of them that are of sureties for debt. God is not a fan of both sides of debt. He's not a fan of both sides of the coin. He's not really a fan for, uh, uh, he's not for us getting our bed taken away because we cannot pay. He's not for that. And he's not for us taking someone else's bed away because they cannot pay. God is not a fan of debt either way. Debt is not a practice God wants his people to be involved in. It's, a, it's an unbiblical mindset. So tonight, if you're struggling with debt, there's five things that you can do, five practical things. And if you want to know more about this, I, I, I said something earlier about Dave Ramsey. And for better or for worse, he has some good, good core principles there. There's other people out there that you can look up. But, but uh, just a couple quick things. Number one, make a budget. And all God's people said, yeah. make a budget. Every month, sit down, husbands and wives, teenagers, make a budget. Every dollar has a name. Every, 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 figure out where you're going to put your money. If I was a teenager, I'd be writing this down right now. Make a budget. Where every dollar has a name. Well, I have, how much money do you make? $500? How much money do you have to spend every month? $500? No, you don't. Amen. So ask your parents to help you with that. But husbands and wives, make a budget every month. And then number two, and, and making a budget is the first thing because uh, that, that's important to understand where you are. But number two is tithe. Let me tell you, the greatest thing you could do for your life financially is tithe. I could say that because I have a wife who, who's made sure that we tithe. And I, as a husband, of course, I oversee everything. But, but she makes sure that that goes into account every single week or month, whatever we give there, every time. And God has always taken care of us. And I'm just telling you right now, if you want to, if, you, if you're having a hard time, tithe. It'll help you. I promise. God will bless you. He will. Some people think that pastors talk about tithing because they need more money. That's not, that's not really the case. The case is we talk about tithing because we know it blesses God's people when they tithe. Number three here, live within your means. Don't break the budget. If you can't afford something, increase your income or decrease your spending or just don't buy it. But don't use credit for something that's about above your means. 
And then number four, get out of debt. Uh, there's several lists here. You can uh, several things you can do about getting out of debt, like paying off smallest credit cards first. This isn't a financial seminar. Like I said, if you go to DaveRamsey.com or whatever, you can he, you can figure out how to get out of debt. But that's number one. That'll be your goal in life. Amen. Then number four, save. Number five, invest. And there's and, and God will bless your life. And those are great ways to to avoid the debt the debt problem there. So uh, moving on here, number three. Number three. We see the importance of integrity. It's better to have a good name than to be rich. We see the imprisonment of indebtedness. You can't serve the Lord. You can't serve your family if you're serving debt like you should, like you want to. And then lastly, number three, we see the blessings of benevolence. The blessings of benevolence. Look at verse nine. He that hath a bountiful eye shall what? Shall be blessed. Let me read that again. He that hath a what? A lot of money shall be blessed. That's not what it says. What I like about this verse is that it's not targeting just people with money. It's targeting everybody. You don't have to have a lot of money to have a bountiful eye. You don't have to be a rich, well, I can't help anybody. I could barely make it myself. You'd be surprised what you can do to help someone else. He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. Letter A here, keep an eye out to bless someone. Keep an eye out to bless someone. Be watching what you can do. We have so many wonderful people in this church, and I, I hear of things all the time that are happening, people giving this and giving this person help, and, and that is such an encouragement to me. I remember when my wife and I, uh, when Gavin was really sick, uh, when he was about three months old, he, <clears throat> he, he just stopped eating, and so we had to take him all the way to uh, um, uh, Oakland there, the children's hospital there, and he was there for three months, I think. No? How long? Two weeks. Sounds better. Three months sounded better. We'll just stick with that. And so two weeks. It was a long time. And, uh, but we were driving back and forth every day. It was, it was on and off. Two weeks here, a week here. It was just a, a long period of time. And so I remember a, a fellow in the church, he just, I was driving my truck back and forth, and he said, he noticed that I, I, my tires were bald. And he says, hey, I want to put tires on your truck. That was a bountiful eye. That made a big difference in our life. We couldn't afford tires for the truck that time. And it was just a big deal to us. And he, was just, he just had a bountiful eye just watching. And the truth is tonight, we all have the opportunity to be a blessing to someone else, no matter what income bracket we are. You may not have the financial means to buy someone tires, but you could buy someone a coffee. And how many a coffee would make your day? Or a hot chocolate or something, just, hey, I got this for you. Just want to tell you, I appreciate you. That would, you know, and so uh, be a, have a bountiful eye. You may not have the financial ability to buy someone a car, but you might be able to buy someone lunch. And so a little bit goes a long ways. Having a bountiful eye, we all can be involved. And can you imagine if every person in our church had a bountiful eye? What a, what a, and we have many. What a wonderful, wonderful environment that would be and is. You may not have the financial means to do something incredible, like big, incredible, but being doing something for someone is incredible. And no matter what scale it is, keep your eyes out for others. And the letter B, keep your heart tender towards the poor. I say, keep your heart tender towards the poor. I don't know where this philosophy comes from where we're down on the poor all the time, because I don't see Jesus doing that. If you can find that in the Bible, come share it with me afterwards. The Bible does say, he that provides not for his own is worse than an infidel. So that's, you do have the means and you don't take care of business. But the Bible tells us to keep an eye out, a tender heart for the poor. Look at verse 16. He that oppresseth the poor to increase his riches, and he that giveth to the rich shall surely come to want. 
Rob not the poor because he is poor, neither oppress the afflicted in the gate, for the Lord will plead their cause and spoil the soul of those that spoiled them. If we're not careful, we become callous towards the needy. God doesn't want us to have a callous heart towards the needy. And all God's people said, amen. There are people that are in legitimate need and we ought not, well, they should have, and they probably should have, and boy, if they would have just, if they would get a, and, and I understand all of that. My dad taught me how to work hard, and if I needed something to get it done. But we, we ought to always have a tender heart towards those that are in need. Yes, they have, they have excuses, and yes, I understand that. But God wants us to have a tender heart towards the poor. Don't oppress the poor to increase your riches. Don't rob the poor or, or, or the down and out. Don't, don't oppress them. Of course, God doesn't justify laziness. We'll get that to that in a second, but we want to make sure that we have a tender heart that way. So let's get into the last point here. Let her see here. Keep an eye on your own business. Look at verse 29. Seest thou a man diligent in what? Everyone else's business. No, no, no. See us, seest thou a man diligent in what? His business. Seest a man diligent in his business. He was going to be blessed. He'll stand before kings. And, and, and so the truth is that many people are stuck in a perpetual cycle of financial stress just simply because they're not diligent. They don't have diligence. Well, we're in debt because California is expensive. And yes, it is expensive. But be diligent. Well, I can't find a job. I, I, this and that. I understand there's difficulties and things, but, but I tell you what, I see hiring signs all the time. I know men working two jobs. And, and listen, if we live in a place where it's possible to be diligent. Drive for Uber Eats, drive for Uber, drive whatever they do. Uh, uh, go, go, get yourself. I remember my wife and I lived in this one street. This one guy, come, he come by every week with a little lawnmower. And he said, can I mow your lawn for 10 bucks? Do something. Be diligent. Be diligent. Don't make excuses. Be, do, be diligent. Are we budgeting? Are we living within our means? Are we paying off debt? Are we saving? Are we investing? Are we being diligent with our finances? Why? Because we want to be able to honor the Lord with our finances. Brother Easterday, when I see a need and I see that, I want to be able to meet the need. This next year, we're going to have a building, building programs and things that we're going to be doing, and I want to be able to give. I want to be able to take care of my family. And how do I do that? By being diligent. And so are we being diligent in our lives? Just to recap some of these biblical principles tonight, I hope these helped you. But number one, the importance of integrity. It's important to God that we have financial integrity. Financial integrity is more important than financial ability. Number two, we see the imprisonment of indebtedness. Debt is an unfriendly master, an unbiblical mindset. And then lastly tonight, the blessings of benevolence. God always blesses when we have a heart for giving. And that's really where we want to be. We want to have a heart for giving. Let's pray together tonight.